saw duty as a cargo plane in the Caribbean during World War II. You guys know anything about this one? I don't know Not anything a about bloody it. But, thing. But if you look at it, yeah. if you look at. Yeah? You still there? Oh, please, it didn't crash again. Jeb there. Dave there. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Oh, and real pilots fly Cessnas. Well, this is not this is not a good sign here that that uh, Skype has crashed twice on us now since we've been recording this. So uh, no, 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 um, no, Skype has crashed twice on you. Our listeners, yeah, <laughs> our listeners, our listeners. I don't know whether we recovered this or not, but you missed a really interesting conversation about compasses and glasses and ants dying on Moss. But uh, that's that's a story for another podcast, I guess. Uh, so. Uh, I don't know how much we cover. I guess we just got to like assume we're starting from scratch. This is do over two. Remember, we did a do over a long time ago. We we didn't lose. We lost do a lot more the, the first one. But uh, but uh, we've done so many podcasts that you've forgotten the fact that we did a do over about a year ago. It's true. Yeah. No, I hadn't. Yeah, I had not forgotten. I, 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 I Some hadn't of our listeners that. may have forgotten. All right. But I never forget a do over. All right. Well, we're, we're, sometimes we're, I still wake up sweating in the middle of the night, screaming, "Redo, <laughs> redo, right. redo, Mulligan, is redo, time? Mulligan." Is it time for my close-up yet? That's right. So we, uh, I, I reverted <laughs> to not to, to the not beta version of Skype in the hopes that maybe that was what was causing the problem. Some combination of my weird hotel connection and. Uh, and the old version. Are you in a hotel again? I am in a hotel again. The travel is my life. For some reason, I thought you were home. I'm I, sorry. I know. I was home last week for a week, and now I'm back on the road again. I'm not very far from home now. I'm just down in greater Boston. Uh, oh, you changed two things. No wonder things are screwed up. Yeah. that's. You well, never change two things at once. Only yeah. one thing at once. Tell me hey, I'm, I'm much more sympathetic now. I did not understand. Yeah. Tell me about it. But, you know, you go if you're going to be using a new internet connection on the road, uh, don't use new software. Uh-huh. Okay, you think? Because well, you know, but it's do not- the new software at home, and and then when it's working right there, you know, or else don't go on the road. But I've been, <laughs> but we've been using the beta version for for many weeks now, and it's worked fine. And uh, so I thought, oh, okay, I thought that wasn't beta. I thought you wasn't, said no, you just no, went no, to no. the new stuff. No, I mean it's new quote in quote marks. It's new, but it's not really new. Anyways, see, we're not talking uh, about aviation. People are gonna yeah, we're gonna get mail. We're gonna get mail. We're not talking about aviation. Well, we can do it over. Redo. Flying, Jeb. Do you have a story to tell us about 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 your airplane? What's the latest? Well, I I, I actually do. Um, um, it's all in one state. It's all in one zip code. Cool. Wow. Is, that's, is, that's is, is it all in one hangar? That's what I want. Is it all in it's one hangar? It's, it's uh, it actually levitated itself off the ground today. Cool. Uh, for the first time in, in a few weeks. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And f- for those who are just catching up here or, or um, <laughs> uh, haven't really paid attention or don't really care, I'll tell you anyway. Um, just coming off like a three or four week uh, refit of just about everything that moved on the airplane um, from basically the spinner literally back to uh, uh, to the horizontal stabilizer. Um, just. It, 
all the con- the entire control system has been gone through, uh, the entire landing gear system, the uh, trim system, um, uh, all, just everything. Uh, every every single wheel bearing has been replaced. I have a new nose wheel tire and tube. I have new brakes all the way around. I have a new brake master cylinder. Oh boy. Uh, no, it's it's just uh, um, you know from stem to stern we've been tearing apart and putting back together and and, and all this kind Air, of stuff. And, uh, airplanes got stems. Yes, they do. Then they why do. can't we grow them? So are you able to give us an AMU count yet, or is that still an total? AMU count? Is around uh, it's it's. Six plus, let's call it that. Ooh, okay, well, that's good. Well, that's She's, not as bad as it no, sounds like it was going to be no. when you recite all that stuff. No, it, um, it, it, the parts were, were certainly, um, I think I spent more in shipping than I actually did in parts. <laughs> 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 I'm not kidding. And there's several occasions no, where no, hey, you know, I need this part, and uh, if, if you can get it here tomorrow, I can continue working. And I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. And, uh, you know... FedEx or UPS would stop by around ten thirty, and during my lunch break, I'd run the part down to the to the airport and, and chat with Lee for a little few minutes, and and roll back to the office and, and continue my work. But uh, um, you know, some of these parts were were you know fairly expensive. I mean, there was one assembly that we we priced. You know, I think I talked about this. How I was holding you know twenty five hundred dollars in the palm of my hand. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. And, and still had room left over for the credit card to pay for it all. Um, that particular sim we kind of rebuilt and, and did not have to buy new, um, but uh, a lot of other components and assemblies uh, throughout the airplane uh, we replaced. Um, I mentioned the, the wheel bearings. There's there's other bearings that we replaced. Um, you were on a roll. We're literally on a roll, uh, uh, and uh, <laughs> or on a tear or or uh, on a needle or, or whatever, but. Um, uh, finally got it all uh, sorted out and, re- and reassembled. We only we only had like two or three handfuls of nuts and bolts left over, so it was it was really a yeah. uh, you know, really a good thing. But um, you know the, where there used to be slop in the ailerons, you know you can how you can take the yoke and, and move it up and down maybe a quarter of an inch or something like that before the all gone huh before the ailerons move all gone absolutely completely. I immoral. love it when they feel like that. Um, the There's same thing with the elevators. Sensuous about caressing a ram's horn and watching it flex its tail. Oh, David, 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 too David, much David, David, hello. <laughs> Intervention time. Uh, you know, same thing with the elevators. Uh, brakes are are, are uh, excellent. Uh, you know, just everything's all snugged up. Let, let me ask you a question, man. Let me ask you a question. Uh, because of the uh, need to kind of be more weather aware than I like to on a day off. Yeah. Uh, I happen to be weather aware about what Florida's look like today. You haven't flown it yet, have you? Yeah, I flew it earlier. Did you fly it today? That's Very that, that's cool. That's the levitating part. Yeah. Yeah, that's levitating. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, I flew it. Um, uh, hey, and it could fact, also be jacks, you know. I mean. <laughs> well, no, I. Uh, it's, it had been on jacks for like two weeks, and we were like, hey, you know, this is the longest time this airplane's ever been in the air before. Um, <laughs> but, no, it, and it didn't it, burn a drop. Now, that's efficiency. Exactly. Now, that was that was true efficiency. Um, talk it was about, an expensive you know, flight, though. It was it was expensive to be on those jacks. Yeah, yeah but, you know. I, have, I, have, I, I don't have the newest hangar on the airport, shall we say. Uh-huh. And, 
floor of my hangar is asphalt. Actually, it's been painted. Oh, it, but it's asphalt. So yeah. we've got you know these jacks now that you are have a historic that, record of your of your. Uh, now we have. Uh, an imprint of the jacks <laughs> in the ass, and and the next guy to get the hanger is going to be like, what in the world were they doing in this hanger? Well, now you'll but, know where to put the jacks next time. Well, exactly right, exactly right. It's but, been uh, it's been templated. Yeah, well, but we flew around a patch once, and you know, and, you know, the landing gear came up and it went down, and you know, which is a, you know a very good thing. Uh, Particularly flew, the latter part of that. The latter part was was you know a little bit more ticklish, um, but um, um, flew it out and, and topped it off with gas for the first time in a while too. Now, I will say this about flying in, in Florida: there's there's a lot of things about flying in Florida that. Um, you know, people might not like it. Yes, it does get hot. Yes, the sun does get strong. And and uh, we were talking. I don't know if it's going to make the cut or not. We were talking about a gentleman who left um, um, glasses on the seat of his airplane. That's probably a bad thing to do um, in Florida uh, when the sun is shining through the windows. But um, it could magnify uh, a problem. Yeah, it could. It could. It could definitely. You know, uh, um, warm things up. But um, you know, gas. I filled up. Guess how much I, I paid today for 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 hundred little bit. Oh, I don't. Well, per gallon. For per gallon. Yeah. Okay. Uh, four eighty five. You're good. You looked it up. No, I didn't. Is that or really four eighty four eighty nine? Actually, that, that was a wag, man. That was a wag. Wild ass. Really? Yeah. That's that's that seems like a pretty good price. It's a, I think it's, a, it's these, this day and age is a great price. Yeah, I, I can I, I can almost afford to fly the airplane on that with that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, one final thing, I, I just want to publicly uh, uh, thank uh, my mechanic Lee Stikeleather, the Satanic mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> and I've met Lee. I understand yeah. completely yes. what he's talking about. Is that why we and, call him the Man in Black? Is that yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons we call him the Man in Black. Uh, Lee is Lee is such fun. He's a wizard. I remember meeting Lee, and I've met Lee at at, at, at Jeb's place in uh, in uh, Springfield. I met him briefly as well, but Jeb didn't really have a gig at Oshkosh one year. He was working for some four letter word in Washington D.C. and uh, we'll leave it at that. And he came up to Osh with uh, his two good buddies, Jerry and Lee, and happened to squeak in just before they closed the field for the air show and got a parking space three rows down and one row over from Fond du Lac. That's right. Now, for those of you who never been there, Fond du Lac's about eight miles south of the end of the <laughs> south end of the runway. Uh, and I still remember Jeb talking about, you know, the, the guys worried about being getting in, and then they're looking out there, and they're seeing all those freaking airplanes, and then they get to taxi right down in front of the air huh. show crowd that's uh -huh. 15 people deep, right along the flight line, the whole length of 1836, down which they've got a taxi to get to where they can shut off the engine. It's like a three-mile trap. In the whole way, they, Dave. In the whole way, Jeb's giving his little Queen Elizabeth wave to the crowd. You know, and, that's right. In the whole yeah. way, Jerry and Jerry and Lee are flybait. 
I mean, their right. mouths are slack. They're just slack jawed, man. And yeah. it's like, we met them later on. We're going to go out for a beer. And it's kind of like, can you believe Oh, my God. There's airplane. Do you see all those? Oh, Jesus. So, so Lee was a good yeah, help. Man, on your, I saw that. So oh, Lee was Lee a good is, help. He's, he's a, uh, just a wizard with his stuff. And, yeah. uh, um, I'd have him work on my airplane if we lived closer. Yeah, I can't. I can't say enough about his his uh, his skill and, and his dedication, his patience. And you got uh, the man in black. I got the leprechaun. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. so that takes up less space. That's great. Although I think I think I think Dave, I think you live closer to Lee now than Jeb does. But uh, uh no, I don't think so. No, I guess. No, I'm I'm about eleven hundred miles from DC. Yeah, that's right. yeah, I'm trying to convince Lee to move down here. His father lives about an hour's drive, and that's where he's been staying while he's well, been he, down here. I was going to say, essentially, you got him to move down there for at least six. Well, weeks. yeah. It's basically right. <laughs> uh, of course, I, you know, I paid him for the privilege, but still, you know, he, he a doctor he, you can't get house calls from, but an A and P who shows up. Oh man, I hope you took him out for pizza that's, and beer tonight. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna nail that before he goes back. That's uh-huh. that's for sure. That's but great. Uh, you know, uh, two weeks ago he couldn't even spell A and P, and now he are one. <laughs> hey, did Jerry? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I first met him, he goes, "Hi, I just got my license yesterday. You need work." <laughs> yeah, can I yeah, take your airplane part for you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got I got I got a book. Shows me how to put it together. Right. That's here. right. That's right. That's right. Well, Jerry ever this. sell his debonair? Um, as far as I know, no. He still has it. He he actually uh, he flew the turbo deb. Uh, just got back from Leadville. I haven't talked to him about it. But he flew it in and out of Leadville here within the last couple of weeks. He bought a uh, turbo deb. He bought a turbo deb, a TN turbo normalized, turbo normalized tornado alley, tornado alley turbo normalized deb. Uh, a couple me, of years ago, my which, tongue back in my mouth. I know this is I'm why drooling. he's got just, the, I need, he's, this. Is why he's got the baby have deb, a deb, please. Yeah, this is why he's got the baby deb for sale, and he's got both in his hangar. Mm-hmm. Um. And, Did you uh, normalize that two twenty five horse? In the- um, Did they make a kit for that? Technically, you can, but no one makes the components to do it. It's not. It's not approved. Mm-hmm. Huh. But I wonder uh, how hard it'd be for them to add that because it can't be that different than the system. No, got I mean all the big parts are still in the same place. Yeah. Uh, um, and it would it, it would substantially help. Uh, would it help? The um, but uh, it's, it's, it's like turbo normalizing 180 horse the the, the four cylinder Lycoming Moonies that uh, yeah. some guys in Florida developed STC to turbo normalize those, mm-hmm. and it was like you know miraculous stuff. They put an automatic wastegate in, and they got a critical altitude of about 19,000 feet. Right, right. So they're able to make 100 percent power up to 19,000 feet, and it takes these little Moonies, the 201. Uh, the M20 Echo and the and a Charlie, which was a carbureted uh-huh. 180. It, it took that carbureted 180 from about a 150 knot airplane, took it up into the mid mid, mid to low low to mid 180 knots. Oh yeah, easily, easily. Yeah, and and, and all it cost was, a, a, I mean, in terms of operating, was a little less than a gallon an hour. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know, this is a carbureted engine. 
the the fuel injected ones, the E model and the 201, it was if you put gam ejectors in it, it was less than less than three quarts an hour that you needed yeah. extra to keep the turbine wheel cool. But it just turned those into nice, comfortable, quick to go like spit. Mm-hmm. They, they are I very like efficient spit. little airplanes. Yeah. Um, spit, S-P-I-T, spit. spit. Um, no, they're they're very quick little airplanes. They're very efficient, uh, especially with that little turbo in them. Um, you know, turbocharging is is, uh, is is Jerry moved out to New Mexico a couple of years ago and bought this uh, this turbo Deb. Well, I guess he's been out there about three years now. Bought this turbo Deb. Yeah, I want to say two years ago. Um, and he's had the baby Deb ever since. His his wife was learning to fly it at one point. Uh, I'm sure he still flies it. Um, but it's a sweet little airplane. I I have not seen the turbo Deb actually because um, he he I just haven't been out to New Mexico and he hasn't been to Washington or Florida. Well, if so he, if he still got it in March or April of next year, we may yeah. need to talk. I understand the turbo Deb or the or the the baby no. Deb. The well, baby Deb. I, I doubt seriously he's going to consider selling the turbo Deb. No, I, I was out there. That. I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. But the the, the baby Deb, um, he, I don't know if he if he'll still have it or not. Obviously, but uh, uh, that's a sweet airplane, and and he, Lee is has maintained that, and 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 uh, um, also, and it's it's in great shape. Last time I looked at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he's not. You know, he's not a guy that's going to let something go. Go to, no, go to no, Jerry's Jerry's an engineer by training, and uh, uh, he knows what he's doing around nuts and bolts. <clears throat> well, and I, I, I'm doing some prep work for uh, my little doodahs at the Affordable Flying Center at Air Venture uh-huh, in a couple of weeks, uh-huh. and uh, was confabbing with a, a, an old friend of mine who's been in the aviation finance business for years and years now, and uh, aircraft finance is his specialty. And so I pinged a bunch of questions at him, and he sent me back some stuff that just kind of knocked my socks off Such in terms a, of how low interest rates can be. Yeah, uh, yeah. For for relatively modest purchases, he was showing me rates under eight percent. Wow. For a, for a seventy-five thousand dollar to hundred thousand dollar airplane, huh. a little better when you go over a hundred thousand. Hmm. I would have thought uh, rates were a little bit. I mean, it's, it's, the mortgages are six to six and a and a half these days. Yeah, he, he said that. Yeah. He 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 put it in these terms: interest rates for airplanes are at quote unquote historical lows. Mm-hmm. Wow. And the upper end of the range he was quoting me for you know the least favorable setup, which is an airplane that's you know barely expensive enough for them to to put money into. I'm talking twenty five, thirty thousand bucks for a long period if they do it. Yeah, uh, you're looking at a little over ten you're you're still under eleven percent. Wow. That'd be like a twenty five thousand dollar airplane for fifteen years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh you know, but uh you're looking at seventy five to a hundred grand for fifteen years to twenty years. And uh the interest rates were really remarkable. Best best I've seen in a long time. That sounds right. And, uh, that sounds yeah, great. it's, it's kind of like, you know, and it's not looking like the world is going to jump up and, 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 you know, magically do a huge improve, uh, improvement here in the next couple of years. So not to sound too mercenary, but if you can afford to lease a late model SUV yeah, we've, or we've had luxury sedan or yeah. something like that, uh, there are so many decent airplanes out there. 
that could be moving you and mom and a couple of the mm-hmm. kiddies down the road at three to th- you know, three times what you can do on the highways. Yeah. It's going to be, yeah, it's great. Hey, listen, let me jump in here and try and jump do, in here. Who let are me, we? Let me do something that I, I actually did a few minutes ago, and uh, uh, but hopefully this time it will actually get recorded. <laughs> that is. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if, if, if where we that's were on it. Yeah, I'm trying to concentrate. That's when it's going to shut itself off. Did we do this already? Uh, we did this the first time, but now they say, welcome, folks, to episode number 90 of Uncontrolled <laughs> Airspace, the General Aviation <laughs> Podcast. We're recording this episode uh, uh, again uh, on uh, Saturday evening, July 12th, Is it still Saturday? It is still Saturday. And, deja vu uh, all over again. Before this crashes, let me say hi to my friends real quickly. Uh, <laughs> one of those out there is Jeb Burnside. Jeb's is talking this... to us from Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. Hey, Jack. How are you, sir? I'm same, just pretty much the same way I was 10 minutes ago when we did this. <laughs> <laughs> funny about that, yeah. Isn't funny it? how that works, huh? Yeah. And yeah. quick before it crashes, Dave Higdon's out there too. Hi, Dave. He's calling us, calling in from Wichita, Kansas. What's up, Dave? Take twenty-three. Click. <laughs> no. Oh, we're doing great here. Okay, it's let's let's not give the wrong impression. It's dry take, for the it's moment. It's take two. That's all. It's just take two. We lost. Not take twenty-three. We lost six minutes of stuff. That's it. And uh, we're, not, we're doing like, well, just that's fine. That's like four takes a minute. That's so it should but, be take but, twenty-four. Dave, Dave, but Macintoshes never crash. Uh, <laughs> and I am Jack Hodgson, uh, and I'm and I'm talking to you today from from beautiful Newton, Massachusetts. That's where I am. I'm in Newton, Massachusetts, Newton, Massachusetts, which is, which is just to the west of Boston on the infamous Route 128. And uh, didn't they name a unit of energy after that town? Uh, or one way, or the other way around, something like that. Yeah, something. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, <laughs> so what's going on? Let's see now. Uh, so we were talking about this a little bit before before we started recording the first time, and in between we talked about it too. Apparently, you guys have some strong feelings about this list that Wired magazine. Now, Wired magazine, I should say, is actually one of my favorite technology magazines. They do a really yes. good job about technology stories, but then they stray into area ground like this, which apparently we feel like they haven't done a great job. They published a, on their website, anyways. I don't think it's in the magazine on their website. They have a list of the top 10, what they say are the top 10 worst aircraft ever. Right. And, uh, top 10 worst aircraft ever. And so you guys were skimming Jeb? through this list. I get the feeling you don't, you don't agree. No, I Jeb? don't. You, you want to start? Uh, the yeah. first Just one. Leave, the leave first, room for me. Okay. Yeah, okay. The first one with which I'll, I'll lodge a disagreement uh, has to do with the, um, um, let me load the page here, the uh, de Havilland Boac Comet. Okay. Thank you. Uh, which was, which was you, the, the first British jet airliner. Okay. Of course, it was the um, first jet airliner. First, first jet airliner. Excuse me. Not not Period. just because it's British. Um, so the fact that the windows sort of randomly popped out and people got died the, in the process it, didn't bother you. No, it was he, a brilliant let me, let me, design. Let me explain. It was. It's a great design. It is still in use today. As as the uh, windows the popped out. By the Royal Air Force as the Nimrod, as, right. a, as a submarine warfare and, and airborne early warning aircraft. Okay. Um, there is nothing physically wrong with the airplane. Everything, you know, this, in 1949, it first flew. And, yeah. you know, the, yeah, they still had a few things to learn about pressurization, about metallurgy, 
um, and things like that. As I understand, about how the, you just don't seal up an unpressurized vessel, exactly. pressurize it after using the same construction techniques, because guess what? Bad things happen. So what yeah. you're saying is it would have been a great airplane if it wasn't such a bad airplane. Well, what happened is, you know, they, they, one of these crashed, basically uh, just disintegrated in, in, in midair and cruising altitude. And they started investigating all of this. And this is what I'm doing. For, I'm doing this from memory. So if I'm, if I'm uh, if getting some facts or some specific points wrong, please forgive me. It's never bothered but us before. Go ahead. Never bothered us before. Um, as they're doing the engineering testing, they're doing fatigue uh, analysis and all this kind of thing. And all of a sudden, they figured out during this fatigue analysis that um, as they pressurize and depressurize the, the cabin, that, yeah, the window frames might not be strong enough. And as they figured this out, they figured out the number of hours, the number of cycles it would take uh, uh, for, the, for this to, to fail. And every, in about that time, another one failed. Another one uh, crashed. Um, and they grounded the whole fleet, and, and they went and fixed it. But um, several were still involved in fatal accidents. Um, in that particular time frame, Fatal accidents involving airliners uh, were not uncommon. Uh, we're talking about the late 40s, early 50s, and, and you know, obviously air transportation has gotten a lot safer. But um, this particular article critiques the, um, the Comet as being uh, an unsafe aircraft. Um, the first, the teething pains that the industry experienced with this being the first jet airliner, and with other aircraft, pick the Lockheed Electra, for example, which had an engineering issue uh, associated with the, um, I forget what they called it, some gyroscopic whirl or something like that, but um, it had to do with the wing flexing and the propeller mass spinning, and the, the, the two, I believe, kind of got in or out of sync, and, and basically wings would fall off. Well, the Lockheed Electra is basically the, the uh, Lockheed P-3 Orion, also a, a very safe, very well-known, very uh, highly utilized anti-submarine warfare airplane. And once the bugs got kink- worked out of, the, out of the Electra, it served uh, admirably in airline service for, for decades. Now, that's and not on their list, though, right? That, and it's not on their list. Right, okay. okay. So, all right, so, so, so you don't agree with the comment. I, I don't agree with the comment, right, so Dave, I'll shut up. And, Dave, you pick Dave, one. Which one don't you agree with? Okay, well, the one that I don't agree with, fortunately for me, is one that I've actually flown. Exactly. Which one? And uh, that's the Beach Starship. Yeah, uh, yeah. See, I agree. Now, I agree that this don't one shouldn't be Don't get me wrong. Working at the working at the Wichita Eagle, the, the story of the Starship became an an inordinately disproportionately important element in what my bosses thought. And I, to a large extent, I agreed, was an important story for us to track because it was a, a, a very enlightened, very advanced, very daring program from a company that had started out. Its roots were in doing daring things, and it became a property of a company that only did daring things if somebody was paying them. Uh the Starship was all carbon fiber. 
It was the first certificated composite aircraft. It used a canard and a semi-swept kind of or semi-delta type wing, pusher turboprop engines, uh, pressurized uh, Burt Rutan scaled composites, built the 85% scale uh, proof of concept model that was introduced to the business aviation world at a National Business Aviation Association meeting in Dallas in 1983. And the world was just agog. Yeah, people were standing. So much going for it. Yeah, people were standing there looking up with their mouths open. You, you, you could have, um, if you had a you know a rack of ping pong balls or something, and just started chunking them, they'd land in everybody's mouth. Yeah, everybody would have won a Cupid doll that day because everybody was slack jawed. Unfortunately, what followed was a uh, painful realization that absolutely no part of the proof of concept model had any applicability to building the prototypes necessary for certification. So everything they did on that that proof of concept model, uh, except platform and proportions, had to be redone in the real ones. The Federal Aviation Administration, God bless those nice folks over at the Wichita Aircraft Certification Office and all U- that. UCAP's favorite aviation agents. Absolutely, our favorite. Uh, many good friends there, particularly at 800 Independence. And uh, there was a very limited, very uh, tentative uh, understanding of the role of composites and the potential of composites in relation to what was normally a metal structure that they were Mm -hmm. used to dealing with. Uh, Along the way, the airframe got heavier because the airframe got heavier. The engines had to get bigger because the engines had to get bigger. The airplane had to be set up to carry more fuel, which meant it carried less payload, unless they upped the weight, upped the horsepower, upped the fuel all over again. It turned into a vicious cycle. The airplane wound up something in the neighborhood of 2,500 pounds heavier than projected and somewhat slower than projected initially, somewhat shorter-legged than projected initially, uh, and consequently, and and then was years late getting to market uh, in a realistic kind of way. It was about nine years to certification and initial deliveries. And by that time, things like the Citation jet had come along and the Sinoswear engine SJ-30. These were little jets about the same size, not actually, actually not quite as big inside, uh, but priced below what the Starship was going for and better than 100 knots, faster on less fuel. Well, even and, and even one of Beach's own products, or a couple of Beach's own products, um, basically different versions of the King Air, yeah, um, offered better performance for less money, uh, higher operating costs, but less yeah. less to less to buy it. But yeah. this gentleman, gentleman, I don't know, Chuck Squatrilia, Squatrilia. I, I yeah. You know, I'm trying to do justice here because I don't know the guy. And I got nothing personally against yeah, yeah, him. Yeah. But he makes a statement here with its carbon composite construction, unique design and rearward facing turboprop engines, the Starship was a groundbreaking aircraft. Good good okay. We're good there. I, I, but it I was, agree with that. 
it was slow. Okay, slow's relative, difficult to fly, completely off base. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely one of the sweetest, easiest flying things. It, it, it came closer to the definition of a pilot's airplane than anything almost anybody I ever knew who flew it did. And in my own experience, more so than anything, I, it's single engine handling with automated systems were built yeah. into it, made an engine out instrument approach on the ILS to about the minimums plus 100 feet. And we decided that wasn't a good idea. So we waited, we went around, <laughs> we came at, so we did it to uh, a thousand foot ceiling and five miles visibility with only one turning. Mm-hmm. And the systems biased the rudder tip sails to take almost any need for uh, rudder application away. Hmm. Keeping it straight on the ILS, straight on the localizer. Uh, I never did it that well in my own airplane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I had yeah. you know, something like 873 cathode ray tubes, I think actually 11. Uh, a, uh, an all-glass panel in, in the 80s, in the early 80s. An all-glass panel. Yeah. Unfortunately, they were cathode ray tubes. They still worked. They had a long life, but they took huge amounts of power, generated yeah. a lot of heat. Uh, there wasn't a lot of flexibility. So the system you got did not evolve well as technology advanced. Uh, everything about that airplane was groundbreaking. It should have been uh, – it could have been a contender, but – the, the 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 facts of its relative relative new, relative newness in so many areas just conspired against it. But you know, one thing I got to quibble with here, big time, it was definitely not difficult to fly and actually very easy to maintain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So definitely not deserving of being characterized as one of the worst airplanes ever. I I, I you know I could say one of the biggest flops ever, absolutely in the top ten and one of the biggest flops ever. Uh, uh, we we ran a number in the Wichita Eagle saying that uh, Beach Aircrafts, uh, nay Raytheon Aircraft, nay Hawker Beach today, invested somewhere in the neighborhood of a billion dollars from the Starship wow. program. They built 50 plus three prototypes. Uh, they have got all but a handful back and taken them out of circulation in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can find one now and you want to, you know, and you want to keep it and keep it updated, uh, you know, you're never going to stop getting offers from Hawker Beach to put that puppy to rest. Uh, yeah, just a remarkable airplane, but a big chunk of that big investment wound up paying big dividends when uh, when the company landed bids for doing things like wings on C-117s, mm-hmm. and then when it got into the business uh, and developed the uh, Premier and the Hawker 4000, both of mm-hmm. which use uh, composite fuselages. So, yep. Let me just read through this a, list here. Oh, finish the thought? I was just going to say, it wasn't a total waste, uh, and it's a sad story because it was an extraordinary airplane. Yeah. Let me just read through the list here. You can jump in with any comments you have. Well, I, I have a, a sum, summary comment when you finish. Go okay. Ahead. All right. So other airplanes on the list, the so-called 10 worst aircraft ever, uh, we've got the Tupolev Tu-144, which was sort of the Russian Concorde, if you will. Um, that uh, yeah, It actually beat the Concorde. The Concordski. The Concordski. Uh, in what way did it beat it, Dave? 
Well, it Flufer. was in service before the In service War. earlier. Okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, we've got uh, Howard Hughes' Spruce Goose, uh, which, okay. I, you know, who knows what was the worst aircraft ever? It exactly. never flew for Ex- real, exactly. right? You know, exactly. and uh, yeah, it flew once for uh, for uh, a couple of miles, just a few feet off the water, off Long Beach. Yeah, and, and I, uh, I think I mentioned this on an earlier podcast. One of my favorite moments from the movie The Aviator, uh, which was sort of a partial biography of Howard Hughes, oh, was yeah. the scene, which presumably is fictionalized because nobody really knows for sure. But it was a scene. It was the scene inside that aircraft when they made the flight that was supposed to be a taxi test but he actually decided to fly and uh, i just found it riveting it was like exciting and oh this is great you know and uh, so yeah uh, it's hard it's hard to lump that that's another one that would easily fit under the biggest flops but a lot of circumstances conspired against that airplane like uh it took too long uh it was over budget and when it did finish the war that generated the need for it was over Uh, so we have no idea how good or bad it would have been in its role. Right. And the other but thing it certainly here too, is a distinctive sucker. And of course, it was it was made out of wood, not necessarily spruce, but it was made out of wood. And the reason it was made out of wood is because there wasn't enough metal around, and right. the War Department wouldn't give Hughes enough metal to make the prototypes. Yeah. Or prototype, so it had to be made from wood because it was a scarce material. Yeah. Oh, and this particular aircraft is in a museum up in Oregon. Right. If you're ever through the neighborhood, it is so worth stopping. Oh, yeah. I've never seen it in person, but that was another impression I got from the movie, was you got a, a sense of how truly big it was. I mean... Well, there there, there are walkways through the wings. Yeah. Yeah. So you can ser- service, put, yeah. service the service engines, the engines in, flight. in flight. So that was, that was how Howard Hughes' uh, uh, so-called spruce goose. Uh, let's see. Now, here's what I've never heard. What's an LWS-4 Zuber? Z-U-B-R? Never heard of it either. Never heard of it Apparently either. Apparently, it was, uh, let's see now, uh, Zuber was, well, again, we'll take this with, at, at, with a grain of salt, also written by Chuck. Chuck Squadrilla, our apologies, I just don't know, how, don't know how to pronounce his name. Squadrilla. Uh, the Zuber was as useless as it was ugly. Not only was it incapable of flying with the landing gear retracted, the airframe was so highly stressed the plane could disintegrate without warning. Uh, couldn't take off with a payload much heavier than... Well, okay, see, it says, couldn't take off with a payload, a few cartons of cigarettes. Um, The Polish Air Force had a few in its fleet during World War II, but none saw combat. So anyway, well, I don't know, maybe not a very good airplane, maybe great and just misunderstood, I'm not sure. Um, Next on the list, uh, we have something known as the, they call the Christmas Bullet, which another one I'm not familiar with here. Uh, It... Apparently, it's got strong wings because the picture they show here has uh, has it uh, parked on the on the ground uh, with let's see now six people twelve twelve guys on each wing. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, six six pe- on each wing. Six on yeah. each wing, standing there on the wing, and uh, it may or may not the, the spar may or not be strong enough. The skin makes me really nervous. That uh, well, and, and Clyde Cessna repeated this people standing on the uh, mm-hmm. wing stunt with the uh, 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 airmaster. Uh, Back in the 30s, uh, difference was that the, the the Cessna, the spar and the structure were actually loaded to be able to carry that kind of weight in both directions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I looked this one up, and uh, apparently, you know, the, uh, the the good doctor was like some of the people I met in the ultralight business 25, 26 years ago. Uh, they had just enough conceptual grasp of what had to be done to design an airplane 
to pull together an intriguing idea and plan for them, but not the experience or expertise in structures Mm -hmm. to make it strong and safe or strong enough and safe enough. And in this case, that negative loading that you see in the photograph with those 12 guys on it uh, is not enough. (laughs) It's got to be loaded the other way to carry the weight of the fuselage and all the flying loads. Mm -hmm. And that's where it seemed to have let its uh, its designer down. Oh, I see. Literally and figuratively. Literally Um, and figuratively. But, you know, here we are talking probably one of the earliest monoplanes. This was... Maiden flight was in 1918. There were earlier monoplanes, um, and then there were earlier uh, uh, airplanes that were designed without without uh, struts to support a single wing. Um, but you know, it, it, I, I don't know anything about this particular model either. Um, it crashed on its maiden flight. Well, you know, that's happened before with other great airplanes. So, yeah. uh, in and of itself, that does not make it a bad airplane. Yeah, okay. This next one, um, based on our conversation from, I think it was last week, I would expect Dave to be hot to want to go fly this one, <laughs> which is uh, the... Big, uh, different, big, big difference between the Hiller... This is the Hiller... Dave, Dave, Dave's connection's back. breaking up a little bit here, but I'll say that it's the Hiller VZ-1 hovercraft, which is... Uh, um, I, most everyone has seen a picture of this. It, it sort of looks like a, a, a platform on four legs with a sort of uh, uh, stand for the pilot to stand, literally stand in. The real and, simple way to describe it is it's a helicopter turned upside down. Yeah. Uh, okay, and, and, and the, only one person rides it, and you stand up instead of sit. Right, and, you stand uh, above those rotating meat-chopping blades, uh-huh. and uh, it sucks air down through it and lifts you off the ground. So I take it you're not quite as excited about flying this one as you are the jetpack, huh? Oh, no, man, the CG's all wrong. Yeah, yeah. That. you got all that weight above yeah. the, the thrust line. It's like, oh, no, no, bad, bad, you know, bad idea. Bad control yeah. is... is just horrendous. No, the hovercraft puts the, uh, the the lifting source much closer to the center of the CG of the uh, uh, the load it's got to carry. Uh, I got much more trust in that. The, you mean the jetpack? The jetpack. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And, okay. and after all, I mean, after watching the Rocketeer 83 times, I'm going to make it 84 tonight. Yeah. So this is just in case I j- get a chance to fly it. See, that was my problem with Iron Man's flying: is that the jets were in his feet, and why didn't he just tip over? And you know, apparently there was some sort of tur- some sort of. Uh, oh, uh, he 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 spends about three hours a day at the gym doing the stationary bike. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Next, we've got the uh, A12 Avenger 2, which this is. This is not the infamous flying wing, right? This is something else. Well, well it's it's it's, it's, it's a, a form of an infamous. It, it was designed to be a, a carrier-based stealth bomber. Okay, makes sense. It appears to be two two carries two people, right. front, uh, two pi, uh, you know, flight crew of two, and. Uh, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. Was it a good plane or a bad plane? We don't know. Well, it, it, it had problems, but I can remember the F-111 had problems. Um, uh, it had developmental issues. This particular entry says it had problems with the radar systems and the use of composite materials. Well, um, the FB-111, uh, back in the, in the 70s, uh, when it was being um, developed, it had all, a slew of problems. It had engine problems. It was it was a swing wing design, one of the first uh, 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 military operational uses of this of a uh, of a wing that you could uh, change the uh, the angle or change the sweep of in flight. 
that generated issues. Um, I believe it also had something of a drooped nose that generated all kinds of issues. Um, uh, but the, the point is that the A12, um, while, yes, it had its, had its problems, uh, probably once they were worked out, as the, as the military is wont to do on occasion, probably would have been a, a, a pretty slick little uh, uh, aircraft. Uh, everything has teething pains. Um, the, the interesting thing here is that the A-12, which didn't – yeah, you're reading the last line. <laughs> you're reading the last line. And, yeah, I know. But the A-12 was slated to replace the A-6, the intruder. And it was only uh, like two years ago that the intruder finally was retired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In favor of um, the, the using the uh, the FA eighteen yeah, in that role with uh, the the latest version of the FA eighteen the Super Hornet uh, in that uh, um, in that uh, attack role that the Navy must have uh, on its carriers. So uh, the A twelve was again I think uh, uh, and what we're going to get to here is a theme. And we'll get to it when when Jack finishes going through the la- the next two the last two uh, aircraft here. But go ahead. So we got the last two here. We've got uh, uh, an, an old World War One vintage aircraft, the Royal Aircraft BE two, which is another aircraft I'm not real familiar with. It looks kind of pretty. It's this great old classic uh, uh, biplane, cloth wing, wooden struts. Mm-hmm. Just a it, oh, it, it, it's 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 such a it's such a representative of its time. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, air, airplanes were evolving uh, into an, uh, the next generation uh, in cycles as short as four to six months yeah. Yeah. in those days. Our friend Chuck describes it uh, as saying, with its anemic engine, poor maneuverability, and the gunner pl- blocking the pilot's view, which that one I don't quite get. Um, well, the gunner was up front. Yeah, and it's so critically important for the pilot to be able to see straight ahead. I don't get that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, well, you know, if it wasn't if it wasn't the gunner, it was that weird little exhaust pipe yeah. that comes back and but makes apparently, that what that is. Apparently, that's what that is. Yeah. Apparently, it was not a successful aircraft. The Germans shot them down pretty regularly, and uh, so uh, it did. A, it, according to Chuck, it had a, a successful role um, against German zeppelins. But uh, anyways, looks like a four bladed wooden prop. That's, that's kind of interesting. I hadn't noticed that. You're right. Yeah. Is that that must have been unique for the time, or was it? I don't know. I, 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 I there was a uh, a bomber that had a four bladed prop in World War One. Had two four bladed props in World War One. I. I don't remember the designation, the model, uh, what, what it was. But I don't know that it was. Um, it was it was innovative. I don't know if it was original um, or a groundbreaking or anything like that. Anyways, it's well, cool it's, if you look at this, it looks like it's got a V eight engine too, which was not unusual because the uh, OX five was a V eight uh-huh. engine. Yeah. Uh-huh. Speaking of that, one thing I noticed in looking close at this picture, so the exhaust comes out of these cylinders into a horizontal pipe, which then appears to curve ninety degrees upward and actually uh, exhaust over the top of the wing, which I guess that's, you, uh, to that, keep the thing from early on fire, right? That's an early anti-ice system. I was going to say it keeps keeps the uh, keeps ice off the upper wing. Are you serious? Um, no. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I bought it. All right, the last one on the list is uh, let's see now. I already uh, is uh, the Boeing XB15. 
yeah. which Chuck describes as uh, the largest plane ever built in the United States until the spruce screws came along, which is a bizarre distinction if you ask me. But uh, you know, it's like the, the the biggest airplane ever built on a Tuesday. I don't know. It just seems somewhat arbitrary. <laughs> By uh, left-handed engineers yeah. with mostly brown eyes. Sorry, we're really beating up on poor Chuck. He's just trying to earn a living as a freelance writer. And, uh, um, and <coughs> heavy bomber was so massive, it's pa- had passageways in the wings, bunks for the crew, big but big planes need big engines, and no one made them big enough uh, f- uh, to give it any kind of speed on its maiden flight in 1937. The plane maxed out at 200 miles an hour, uh, and the U.S. Air Corps killed the project. The only XB ever built saw duty as a cargo plane in the Caribbean during World War II. You guys know anything about this one? I don't know Not anything about it. But, thing. But if you look at it, yeah, you got you got the plan form. You've got some of the features of a couple of aircraft types that were very successful. Also, yes. coincidentally, made by Boeing. You the B seventeen and the, and the B twenty nine. Yeah, uh, which were very successful aircraft, obviously because you know them. Everybody knows about them. Um, this was. Um, Underpowered, yeah. Okay, well, so so was the P fifty one when it first came out That's because right. they didn't have enough engine at the time for the airframe. Um, well, in those days, the number of designs that started out with too little power and uh-huh. moved up to something realistic would fill volumes. Exactly right. Exactly right. So you know, yeah, there might might have been only one of these made, but it, it served as a, as a door opener, if you will, to uh, so many other more successful types uh, made not just by Boeing, but by other airframe manufacturers. So we got to move on here, but you said you had a final thought on... The final thought is, all of the aircraft uh, listed uh, in this this compendium of the 10 worst aircraft, most of them anyway, at least the ones with which I'm fairly familiar, were groundbreaking aircraft. Uh, The Starship, the Comet... Uh, the Spruce Goose, even the A twelve, the Flying Dorito, the, the Flying Dorito, the, this this XB fifteen, all of them were uh, ahead of their time, if you will. They they may or may not have had fatal flaws, but um, they had to have been developed so that other more successful aircraft later were developed, mm-hmm. and uh, the worst, um, perhaps worst timing. Perhaps um, um, worst luck, but not necessarily worst aircraft. And my closing comment on this? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't even want to get into some of the comments that I saw posted to the blog that followed us. Because I, didn't, I didn't look. Were they, just generally, were they, did they agree or disagree? Oh, uh, let's just put it this way. There's some really interesting opinions that could not yeah. be hurt by real information. <laughs> well, it hasn't stopped us, so I don't know why we should yeah, exactly. be giving anybody else a hard time on the subject. All right, well, that's uh, that's Wired Magazine's list of the worst uh, ten worst aircraft of all time. All and, right. and 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 don't hesitate to, to pop into the forums and tell us how full of it we are. Yeah, there we go. Right. Because you know, without access to the dipstick, it's hard for us to tell. Exactly right. So, a, I cons- what I consider to be a really fascinating piece of video with audio that uh, appeared on the net, or actually in public, uh, this past week, which um, apparently was released by the FAA. It's the radar video along with air traffic control. We were right again. Uh, radio conversation um, between the between the uh, the civilian controllers and the pilots of the two aircraft that were 
uh, I don't know, attacked in while flying. <laughs> Accosted. Uh, and it's uh, fascinating. To, I mean, watching the radar blips is one thing, but listening to particularly, I guess it was the premier pilot um, who is going, this guy, you know, is do, is outrageous. I want his number. I mean, it was great. He was not kidding around. And it's and listening to this 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 audio, it's hard to imagine that any any part of their story was contrived because they were just there. It was right. You know, they they what they said all along is what they said in the those you know two minutes on the radio. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. This is real. Uh, this this is real reinforcement, uh, affirmation, confirmation. However you want to put it, you uh, you know you uh, take a sip of the water and uh, nod three directions and say yeah really did happen to him and pretty much the way they said yeah and and although he was you know he he was never panicky or anything like that he was he was really really he agitated. was not a happy camper man yeah and, wouldn't call and, him panic but he was highly agitated and he was annoyed yeah and you know uh, and he's uh, concerned about about busting the the you know yeah. the airspace oh, he, and he's concerned about he the safety up, of his he, flight he was a 17.5 and he pitched up and he was into the class alpha uh, and he's like guys I don't really care arrest me I don't care I, you know, I'm I'm avoiding this maroon in in this F-16, and I will do whatever I damn well want to. Yeah, that's so the, the fifth branch of our mar- military, you know. Yeah, the maroons. The uh, the maroon right, corps. Yeah. The maroon corps. That's the, right. Uh, <laughs> so this is the, uh, the I guess it was the, this is the premier pilot who was the sort of the main character in this whole thing. <laughs> no, uh, actually, it it was the PC-12 pilot. Who yeah, was PC-12 task. Yeah. Was it PC-12 pilot who was, who was the guy who kind of went public first on this? Okay, and. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, just an amazing piece of audio, and uh, you know, and and he's going, and the and the tr- controller's going. Well, I'll get you a phone number where you can call. The, the, the pilot's uh, going. I want to report yeah, this. I want to report this. And then he goes, Well, I'm going to get you a phone phone number. And then the uh, controller's kind of going off trying to find this phone number. And the other, the pilot of the other aircraft comes on and almost timidly says, He says, I want that number too. You know, and they're just. It was it was a pretty interesting piece of audio. So uh, well, yeah, folks. It's, it's, yeah. Go two ahead. things, yeah. Two th- two things that in in hindsight, um, one the, the community, the general aviation community, you know, reacted to this episode in a variety of different ways. Um, some of the reaction at the time was based on um, let's call it incomplete information. Um, and now we have the audio tapes public. We have the radar. Uh, video public um, it is and was as bad as we thought it was at the time mm-hmm. and those of us who uh, pointed out that you know this is inappropriate behavior by uh, um, a military operation um, and we're and we're called out for saying something like that I think have been proven correct uh, that's right uh, as this additional information comes out the second piece of information that um, has come out of this is that the f-16 pilot was quote reprimanded unquote that is new information uh, yeah. and, and th- those of us who, who who followed some of this and and I, I did a little bit of digging I talked with several people out at uh, Luke Air Force Base in the course of, of reporting on some of this, that was never discussed. And the questions were asked, uh, you know, what is, you know, what is the pilot, you know, oh, you know, he's, he's doing what he was supposed to do. Well, you know, uh, suck out of my nose. 
No, he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. That's right. And and it's finally been confirmed that he was in fact reprimanded for his his behavior, as he well should have been. There is that no means that he that means he doesn't get a little PC insignia below the canopy rails on his that's airplane. Right. He doesn't get the silhouette uh, of a beach right. jet uh, uh, painted on the side of his airplane. Um, it's 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 all of a piece, and and uh, uh, those uh, who express concern correctly back in March or February, whenever this happened, I forget which, uh, were correct then, and and they're correct now. And um, uh, let's let's move on. Yeah. Uh, Closer for me. Yeah. The thing that irritated the crap out of me at the time this was happening. Mm-hmm was the willingness of so many people in the GA community to say, well, he shouldn't have been there. Yeah. Well, you know, they're just doing what they're supposed to. Well, blah, blah, blah. I say, whoa, whoa, time out. Wait a minute. Uh, first off, I, I don't know the guy well enough to have a basis for doubting the veracity of his statement. That, you know, there are a lot of people I know well enough to go, oh, that's bullshit. But... <laughs> This gentleman, these two gentlemen were not blowing, among them. Blowing snow. Second, <laughs> is, why is it necessarily always us that got to be doing the mea culpa for mm. not breaking any rules? And why are so many people in our community, not a large number, you know, but enough to make it aggravating as, as can be, that are willing to jump up and say, oh, well, you know. It, it, to me, it's like blaming the rape victim because she showed up where it happened. Yep. Yeah, exactly right. So uh, it's off. I'm off of that. So yeah, the, the the PC12 and the and the beach jet were both operating legally, you know, in an active MOA. There's nothing at all wrong with that. If let, let's put it this way, if there were something wrong with operating VFR in an active MOA, it would not be legal. Right. That's right. They would find a way to spank their butts. And and all this talk you hear from the coming from the Air Force about well, you know, we, we try to warn people about being in an active MOA. Well oh, again, suck it bloody suck out. out suck out of my nose because um you know, suck my nose till my head caves in. Exactly. You know The next sound you will hear will be a collapsing skull. <laughs> okay. I think the, we got the point. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. The, the point is that um if they want it, their own airspace. They can have their own airspace. It's called a restricted area. They got lots of those. And they can serves. go offshore if they if they want their own airspace. There's not enough of this airspace to go around to, to suit all comers. And if you know you know get political here for a moment, if we want to turn this country into a military dictatorship and a totalitarian state, we can do that. But allowing VFR aircraft to, to fly through a MOA, as is currently the case, uh, will have to go away. Mm-hmm. And until it does, uh, these gentlemen operating their beach jet and their, uh, their PC-12 were completely in the right. Yep. That's End correct. of discussion. Yeah. Uh, let's see now. We're never going to talk about everything that's on this list this week, so why don't, no. you, just, why don't you guys pick one? What do you want to talk about here? Dave, go first. I think that means that Jeb's got one he really wants to talk about, but he wants no, to No, I don't have last. one, and I haven't had a chance to really look at this. I, I'm, you know. I'm going to bop a couple of things real quick. Okay, quick. Okay. Go ahead. In case you've been living in a cave and you're not wired into uh, some of the uh, major aviation news sites, Cirrus flew their jet 
in the last all right, we talked about that last time yeah. now it's got a name the SJ50 it's going to be at Oshkosh uh Another great reason to fly GA, the Transportation Security Administration at the Department of Homeland Security is flirting with the idea of little security bracelets that can electroshock you into... Oh, you know, my uh, God. Isn't this just... Oh, man, I know. I've heard just, this story. I'm not, it, just, this is not a joke, folks. This is, this not, is not a, not joke. a joke. This is... Uh, you know, it should be. The, it should be a joke. We should be talking about this on April one, but we're not. Yeah. This is for freaking real. Yeah. I mean, this well, is not I've, exactly. I've, a, I've, I've maintained for years that the network where DHS most belongs is Comedy Central, because it's, <laughs> it's a joke. Uh, but this is not a joke. It's a little electronic bracelet that would carry your boarding pass, your personal identification, probably your PIN number. And be capable of being remotely triggered to electroshock you like a taser and subdue you in the event that you got crosswise with a flight attendant, couldn't make change for a 20, your credit card was canceled okay. when you needed to use the bathroom we get the point. or whatever else that came along. We get the point. All right. Um, and, and what I want to know is how is this all going to be controlled? And can I, with my Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day laptop, hack into it? And and jolt the the guy next to me who's snoring. Well, here's my well, that deal. would be a good I'm, thing. I'm willing to wear them if all the guys and gals work in the screening positions, and the gate positions, and the flight yep. deck are willing to wear them too, and give us the pin number so that when they screw up, we can go. Okay. And I'm done. You're done. Yeah. I'm sorry. I want to go back to the Cirrus jet. You, you zoomed past this one. That's a little pun. Get it? Zoom. Um, and uh, it's got a name. It's coming to AirVenture. Is it just going to be on static at AirVenture, or are they going to fly? No, no, no. They're flying in the prototype. Oh. It's going to be there. Uh, my, my, my good friends up in uh, Duluth tell me it's going to be there for a couple of days. Uh-huh. Uh, I doubt seriously it will fly any kind of display. The sole display flying will be, it'll come in, it may do a couple of passes, may not. Right. Uh, it'll land, it'll taxi up uh, Aeroshell Square to the Cirrus uh, exhibit back near the main gate. And that's where it'll be for a couple of days until it reverses that travel and goes back to Duluth and back into flight test. Okay. All right. Uh, Jeb, you got one? No, I really don't. I was going to do the stun, the DHS stunning thing. Let me just ask a rhetorical question. And, <laughs> Keep is it in mind time, this is not an this is not a general aviation story. But go ahead. Is it is it time to just stick a fork in DHS and TSA and 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 move on and let's you know kind of rethink this whole thing? Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's it's called the election of two thousand and eight. But you know, uh, and, uh, you know uh, I'm going to sub one for Jeb, yeah. uh, and all I'm going to do is plug this. Okay. But uh, there's going to be a link with the show notes I hope. about uh, a uh, photography, about an airplane site, actually, for a B-25 Mitchell called Pacific Prowler. Uh-huh. Mm. One of my Gorgeous favorite airplane. airplanes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gorgeous airplane. I've never, I've never been in awe of that airplane since I was first told the tale of Doolittle's Raiders yeah. launching that airplane off an aircraft carrier yeah. overloaded to boot. Anyway, my good buddy from North Carolina, excellent aviation photographer, uh, Arnold Greenwell, was doing some work with another good friend of mine named Paul Bowen at the Gathering of Mustangs and Legends. Uh, and Arnold got to shoot some out of the B-25, shooting right alongside Paul Bowen. 
And uh, anyway, the website here, PacificProwler.org, has a, a bunch of Mustang pictures. Uh, I think they're all, yeah, they're all D-model P-51s. Uh, some of them are, are, are converted two-seaters, or mm. converted two two-seaters. Anyway, uh, Arnold's got a bunch of uh, shots on here that show P-51 Mustangs, and there's several other shots that show how the photographers shoot air-to-air out of this oh, airplane cool. that I thought a few folks might appreciate seeing. Absolutely. Like the tail gunner's position where they've removed the glass and the gun position, and you're sitting in a, strapped into a seat with a parachute only about 18 inches away from air. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's cool. And uh, show notes. I'm going to talk about show notes in just a second here, but uh, uh, we will have this link on the website somehow, some way for you to go take a look at this stuff. Yeah. Um, what else? I've got a couple of sort of one, uh, one, one final one, one, Go ahead. Yeah, one thing I'll, I'll throw in here. Um, at, at Oshkosh, Wisconsin, yeah. now, as we speak, and it's certainly by the time this hits, hits the streets, Camp Scholler is open. Yeah, it is. The oh, campers open and are, filling up fast. Uh, oh, that's open, the thing fill, I wanted to do. Open and filling up fast. It is almost time. If you haven't already made your plans to be at Oshkosh, to go to Oshkosh, to revel in Oshkosh, now's a good time uh, because you're not going to get too many more opportunities this year. You'll get more opportunities, but not this year. So we will be there. Um, we'll, we'll talk about this more uh, the next episode. Um, the next few episodes, yep. we will be talking about Oshkosh a lot more. Yep. But if by the time you hear this, you have not already made your plans to be at Oshkosh, you're about to blow it. You need to get there. You need to be there. And um, uh, we hope to see you there. That's right. And, and, and if you're not making it this year, there is no better time than July of 2008 to start planning and plotting. <laughs> That's right. For 2009. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. We had uh, from our forums area, listener, uh, oh, I pronounce it probably J. Schnood or J.S. Anyways, um, J.S.C.H.N.U.D. You're having a tough day with I, names, I am, you? I am. And, He's uh, been speaking binary all day. He posted a, uh, foreign to him. He posted a little what I call a pyrep here, uh, a drive-by pyrep. Um, he had occasion to be driving up uh, Highway 41 uh, in Wisconsin, which goes right next to the uh, AirVenture grounds, and you can uh, actually look into the Camp Scholler grounds and the uh, museum grounds and actually get a peek at uh, the North 40. Um, and he reports that, uh, in fact, there are people gathering there already that you can see... Uh, uh, campers in the campground, and uh, uh, just uh, things are re- really are definitely uh, starting to happen out there. Uh, for people flying into Oshkosh, he points out one uh, change that I don't think made it into the uh, notum, uh, which has to do with the uh, the wind farm, the the, the, the big windmills. Actually, it, it is in the. Is it in there? Okay. Yeah. Um, to use caution, especially if you're in a smaller aircraft like an ultralight, that the uh, that the wind farm that used to be like one or maybe two uh, big windmills is now uh, many many more in the past year or so. Um, that's they say they're creating electricity, but I swear some, you know, somebody that flew through there recently told me it smelled like that they were grinding sausage. So uh, who knows in Wisconsin. But they're about 300 feet tall at the top of the blade as it swings through the top of the arc. So what, the, what they're doing is they're just making sure that 3-6 that is the favorite runway. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so let's see now. A couple of quick uh, uh, items here. I want to uh, give a big thanks <laughs> to uh, uh, listener Mike Morgan, uh, who has put together. And we've had a number of listeners who have put together a little intros, the, the so-called disclaimer at the beginning of the episode, um, and a lot of them have been terrific. Um, the most recent terrific one is from Mike Morgan, who sent in one that was it was certainly the 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 sort of the the most professionally produced one. It has background music and everything, and it has Mike Morgan playing the part of a uh, of a revivalist minister uh, reading the disclaimer to his oh, man, congregation. I can't wait to hear that. Where do I find that? And uh, that one, well, see, now you've just given yourself away because that was the one we used on the beginning of last week's episode. Uh, eight, uh, eight, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, 88. Um, Did we do this two weeks ago? Yeah, really. So, uh, wow, it seems like just yesterday. Thanks to Mike uh, for that. It's an awesome one. And he's offered to do others. He's looking for ideas for different sort of spoof you know, themes to use for, for presenting the disclaimer. So we're going to have to come up with some good ones for him. The other is an apology, and this is again, yet again, I, I just, you know, I'm, uh, the, the whole subject of show notes, and I'm trying to get better at this, uh, it's just been kind of an ordeal lately, and uh, I really am getting caught up. I truly believe that by the time people hear this episode, we will be completely caught up um, with uh, past episodes and with, uh, with show notes. Um, one of the things I'm going to do to kind of try and keep show notes caught up in the future and actually make them better than ever is I'm endeavoring to change to add a wiki to our website. For people who don't know what a wiki is, it's basically a uh, sort of user-generated uh, encyclopedia. Most people are familiar with Wikipedia, which is a, a, a huge encyclopedia of general knowledge and non-general knowledge that is actually authored by the people who read it. You can go in and make a change and tweak something and add something and so forth. Oh, man, but, and I thought a wiki was something that you got in a tiki lamp. Yeah. So we're <laughs> going we're gonna to add a wiki to the Uncontrolled Airspace website. Um, and the most immediate benefit of this is that um, that I can now get Jeb and Dave to help me create the show notes because anybody can, can make additional show notes. I'm so, going to remember this in 10 minutes. So show notes will actually start out as being a very, very simple little, uh, uh, you know, like basically a listing of the title. And then, is this like a quiz? Yeah, and so we'll add. But the really cool thing is that listeners can make additions to the show notes. So if now, listeners, that makes more sense. Listeners have a comment or, or they, they know of a link that so we didn't know about or whatnot. All right, um, they can put that there. And then taking a, a, with using a wiki there's just a huge number of possibilities and I think it could get pretty exciting we've talked over the over the last two years uh, we've collected lists of favorite airport restaurants and, and fly out two destinations and, um, and all these things can become pages in the wiki so that we can create a really really cool uh, collection of aviation knowledge that would be you know accessible to everyone so we're going to put this wiki up I'm agonizing over which wiki software to use and if any listener has a suggestion on that I'd love to hear it but uh, Agony, would you? We're going to put a wiki yeah. there, and uh, that'll solve our, our, our show notes problem <laughs> and add amazing new value to the uncontrolledairspace.com website. Um, and with all without raising the price. And all without, that's right. That's right. Or doubling the price, as the case may be. Um, Finally, uh, just yet another reminder, we're heading to Oshkosh. We're going to be recording two episodes of the podcast podcast I, at Oshkosh. Um, although it will be difficult for you to sort of be in the audience or be a live audience member on site because we're going to be doing these from the second level um, uh, deck of, of, uh, of EA Radio. Um, it will be aired live on EA Radio on, on their AM uh, radio station. It will also be streamed live on the Internet. So wherever you are in anywhere in the world, you could listen to us do this thing live. 
Um, and of course, that we is will absolutely the most terrifying. This scares thing Dave I've heard like crazy. I know episodes. it scares Dave like crazy. And of course, we will uh, uh, sort of edit it down and clean it up and and put it on the uh, on the regular uh, uncontrolled airspace. We uh, have feed. an extra supply of podcast cleaner laid in just for this. So that'll be uh, Monday afternoon uh, after the Daily Air Show and Sunday morning at about 10 a.m. Uh, uh, that'll be 10 a.m. Uh, Central Time, uh, Oshkosh Time. Right right yeah. after breakfast. Yeah. And then, of course, we'll also be participating in Podcastapalooza 2, which is the gathering of the aviation podcasters on Friday afternoon after the Daily Air Show. That will be in one of the forum buildings. Um, so if you're actually on the grounds, you should come on by. It'll be listed in the uh, in the forum listing. It's already on the, uh, on the AirVenture website and and uh, has the actual location and the specific time. And that'll be a lot Next of fun. Next year, we're going to change the name of, to the Gathering of Mouths and Listeners. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. And David will be participating uh, in the uh, Affordable uh, Flying Center uh, with one of with his presentation, which we heard earlier. He's collecting all kinds of interesting information about. And remind us what, what day that's going to be, David? Days. Plural days. What days? Yeah, they, they just weren't. They just couldn't stop abusing themselves here. Uh Saturday, uh, 10 to 11.15 a.m. in the Affordable Flying Center, which, if you've been there before, is the old NASA building. Uh, If you've not been there before, go to the shorter of the two control towers, go north, and watch on your left side. There'll be one big hangar building sitting over there all by itself with cheap airplane stuff around it. And in same location... 1 o'clock on Sunday afternoon to 2.15. Uh, that's the one where I expect all my audience to be invisible. But if you happen to turn off your power belt and make yourself visible, we'd love to say hello to you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's great. We're going to be busy this year at Oshkosh. Busy, busy, busy. Um, I'm just stunned that, you know, that, that this is like worked out to be one step short of crazy. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna, yeah, we're going to be running around, running around like crazy. All right, uh, shout-outs. Anything else before we wrap this thing up? Uh, my mechanic. My good, I want to shout-out to my good friend Joe Roth, Yep. local pilot, CAF colonel, all-around good guy. Uh, Joe had a, a bad experience lately while he was in the midst of trying to dispose of some black powder. <laughs> I don't know if that's funny or not. I, yeah, uh, I don't know if it's funny or not either. You know, I can say that, and in the abstract, I have the same internal reaction. Uh, but uh, I've seen Joe recently, and let me tell you, up close and personal, uh, I was so tickled to see that his eyebrows, his eyelashes, and his skin are starting to grow back. <laughs> okay. Was this a Fourth of July thing, or...? No, no, it was not. It was yeah. it was clearing out stuff at a loading bench. Ooh. And uh, some kind of spurious spark occurred. Electricity, wow. And he wound up hospitalized for a couple of days. Ooh. Ooh. And in the hands of a very good friend, uh, uh, was able to go home with the assurance to the doctors and the nurses that he would get the daily bandage changing and, and debreeding and having suffered from uh, some pretty serious burns due to high-speed contact with pavement once. Uh, I know what Joe has been going through. 
Uh, I'm tickled to see him in as good a spirits as he's in and looking forward to getting back in the cockpit of the uh, Jayhawk Wings uh, UC-78 Beach, uh, Cessna Bobcat and the old Fairchild PT-23. And uh, we'll be glad to see him back into the air. Great. Yeah. And yeah. uh, Jeb, you one last you wanted to say yeah, just Lee. just um, just another shout out to my mechanic uh, Lee Steichleather. Um, thanks for all black. your hard the man in black. Thanks for all your hard work, and uh, it's it's definitely paid off. And um, if anybody needs a good airplane mechanic on the East Coast, uh, have have airplane will travel. That man can play a set of safety wire pliers like Johnny Cash played the guitar. I tell you, I tell you. <laughs> We Man. oh okay I see I now I shouldn't be I want to here, here's my shout out okay here's my shout out and I'm doing this from memory um, um Dan Greider the uh, DC three instructor that we've talked about in a number of recent episodes oh yeah uh, gave us a nice little mention um by way of mentioning James Winbrandt um in his uh, newsletter that he sends out to hit the the people who are fans oh, of his very operation cool. and uh, he talked about the fact What's that go to fifteen people uh, no I understand it goes to to many thousands of people and uh, he he oh my god. Where do we get around? What do we do then? The occasion was uh, mentioning that that James, um, who wrote a story about uh, his DC-3 operation, um, also uh, came on our podcast and told the story of his visit, visit over there. And uh, and Dan gave us a nice mention uh, in in the newsletter and gave us a little plug to our website. And uh, and I think I actually saw a little spike in the listenership uh, around that same time. So uh, I'll be darned. So thanks to Dan for uh, for uh, giving us a little shout out, and uh, we appreciate. And I just want to, can't let this go away without thanking all of our mothers and their bridge partners for listening to us. Otherwise, who knows? Yeah, that's who it is. That's exactly who it is. Yeah. And and I also want to thank Dave Higdon, who is, of course, an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. You can learn more about Dave and his work at kitplanes.com, avbuyer.com, slash worldaircraftsales, or aea.net. Uh, and one of these days, davehigdon.com. Thanks, Dave. Oh, man, good to be here. Real fun, folks. Remember, I'm going to get this out of the way now so I don't have to do it later. Time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Get some air. And Jeb Burnside is an aviation journalist. He's currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Learn more about Jeb and his work at jebburnside.com, aviationsafetymagazine.com, and and avweb.com and I am Jack Hodgson you can learn more about my work at, oh I'm a who am I who the heck is Jack Hodgson <laughs> we've been wondering about that man ever since, ever since I changed you been, this format you have been working way too hard dude. ever since I changed this format around I'm not exactly sure how I'm supposed to be doing this Sorry, but I do I, I, I'm read a, the script I am a private pilot a freelance writer and a new media producer <laughs> saying Folks, that I have a this script. is all his fault okay this was Say, his idea saying that I have a script here is giving it way too much credit I have a bunch of jumbled notes uh, learn more about me and my work at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net and visit us all uh, especially at the forums and maybe one of these days in our wiki at uncontrolledairspace.com and folks come to the forums say something say anything say hello uh there's quite a nice collection there. But, man, we need more. More, 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 more. More, so, more, more. So thanks, everyone, for joining us in the virtual hangar. And that's enough talk. Let's go flying. So this guy this guy almost lit his airplane on fire with his reading glasses. Did you see this story? This is no. From, this is from uh, the AOPA 
uh, blog, Reporting Points. <laughs> and it says, the headline is The Burning Power of Glasses. It says, Jim Cohn, a local pilot and friend, told me, that, oh, this is written by uh, Stephen, L- Stephen Ells. Steve Ells, yeah. Ells from, uh, from AOPA. Jim Cohn, a local pilot and friend, told me that he almost lost his Cardinal RG because of his reading glasses. Cohn had hung his Dr. Dean Adele drugstore magnifying glasses off of the magnetic compass and left his airplane for a few hours. When he got back, his nose told him that something was wrong. Uh, that was before he saw the parallel slashes in the fabric of his pilot and co-pilot seat. After considering all the alternatives, such as a renegade seat slasher, etc. Say that three times. I know. I really. I did it though. I did it one. I'm, I'm satisfied with one. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I would be too. But I was just trying to goad you into yeah, something. I know. He finally came to the conclusion that his reading glasses had focused the sun's rays on the seat fabric, and as the sun traveled across the sky, the focused light left a trail of burnt fabric. Says he was very lucky. I guess he might have set it on fire. I don't know. It certainly sucks that he. I kind of like the sea slasher idea, though, <laughs> yeah, actually. I know, right? That's yeah. a lot more interesting. <laughs> yeah. So that's what he gets for not. Mother, putting, mother. That's what he gets for not putting the. Uh, my club always made us put the, uh, the glare shield things up there in the windows so that. Uh, you know, or I mean, we didn't have we didn't have a canvas that went around the outside. We had those little little corrugated foamy things that you pressed yeah. inside the windows, and uh, um, and uh, those are those actually work very nicely. 